Well, here we are in week four of the Planting Season series. Before I start, I just want to say how uh, grateful I am, how much I uh, am thankful for the notes and the tokens that I've received from many of you uh, after October, um, Pastor Appreciation Month, and so thank you. I appreciate uh, the way that so many of you have shown your care and love and affirmation for me and for my family. And uh, I don't know if you noticed, but the teenagers, the new face teenagers up here on the platform are multiplying. So uh, last week we had a, yes, so uh, last week we had a trumpeter and a flutist. Some prefer flautist. Uh, I don't know, it sounds a little pretentious for me, but flutist. And this week we had a brand new violinist, uh, Grace, who uh, I hope you could hear. I know I could. And yes, so it's wonderful to see those uh, signs of life and uh, to worship God. Uh, hopefully you've already uh, known that we were in the middle of planting season. And here week four, this is actually kind of a part two from last week. So last week I preached a message and then many of you asked questions after uh, or during the message. And so uh, today I have an opportunity to go through those questions, to go through the questions that you yourselves turned in uh, in the context of the planting season. Vision key number two, which is planting us. So week one we did, and week one and week two, we did planting me and what that means for us as believers. And of course, you hopefully know by now that that means my openness and my willingness to let God do his work in me, to grow me. So before we ever get to what we do for God, it's what we allow God to grow in us. That's planting key number one. And then planting key number two is how that growth that God is working in us begins to work itself out in our relationships and in how we as a church move forward. And this is planting key number two. So that was, the message was last week. And then I got quite a few questions, which is great. And that was the primary takeaway for me from the surveys is I want to know what you are hearing or want to know what you want to know so that I can answer. And many questions came in. Some of the questions that came in, we began to address in last week's church conference. And um, so we have a process going forward. Sam is going, Sam Simmons is going to come up at the end of the service to help uh, those of you who were a part of our church conference last week to know what the next steps are for the questions that came out in that church conference. So, but the questions having to do with vision key number two, which is what I preached on last week, are the questions I'll be answering for you here today. And uh, what I'm going to do is just throw up exactly the words that were written uh, in the questions that were asked for vision key number two. And I think I got them all. I think at least if I got the, the card, I've included the questions um, uh, in, uh, in these. And so here's, here's the first or next question. What specific programs, events, and operations are tied to this vision key, vision key number two? And what specific pieces of the budget are tied in? Great question. And, um, and let me just uh, answer in one word. None. There you go. None. Nothing is tied to this vision key in terms of budget, programs, events, operations. This is not in any way uh, trying to get you to agree to do something specific as a church. And I'll talk more about this later. But the answer to the question, what specific programs, events, and operations are tied to this vision, or any of the vision keys, the answer is nothing, nothing. And, and if you say, well, I'm confused, uh, we'll get there. 
All right. What will affirmation, and this kind of follows up uh, on the last question. This was another person's question. They were all anonymous, so I don't know who asked the questions. If you're here today, hopefully you see your question on the screen. What will affirmation of the vision facilitate that isn't already happening? As I said in answer to the first question, nothing. Nothing. In other words, uh, if, if the vision is affirmed by you, you decide what that means for you. And if everybody, let's say all the cards get turned in, um, we as a church will vote later on a budget, right? So this is not about deciding future plans. I'll explain more as we go. Here's the next question, and this follows on from the last one. Why are you having the congregation affirm this vision? I'm not actually having the congregation. I'm having each person, we're inviting our leadership team decided we're not voting. We're not voting. We're inviting you to decide how God is speaking to you. So why are we doing this then? What are we doing to affirm? Checking a box, you'll get a card next week and next week's it's, a, it's an invitation for you to say what, if anything, from this vision is resonating with you. And when I say resonating, I mean God is saying, hey, this is me talking to you. And if you go through the card and you say, well, none of it is really, or I'm not sure, that's okay. But this is an invitation for you to decide how God may or may not be speaking to you. And so, yes, there will be a box. There won't be raising hands. And in fact, then in week six, what we're going to do is just pass the plates. Because what I, I don't want to do is I don't want to uh, create any kind of like expectation that if somebody uh, turns in a card that they're somehow more spiritual or more on page than somebody else who doesn't. So when the cards go by, there's not going to be any place for you to put a name. This is strictly for you to decide how God is speaking to you. And then let's see, what will happen if the majority doesn't affirm it? Well, we won't know who affirms or disaffirms, and there is no vote. You understand? So if we get all cards in and they say no, we say, well, okay, well, I guess none of that resonated. Uh, let's go back to the drawing board with our elders and with our leadership team. Uh, what will change if it is affirmed? I want to say, I want to say nothing in terms of like specific structural changes, but my hope is that if let's say I affirm it, that what I'm affirming is, God, I want you to change me. That that's what will change, that I will and I will grow. And then if God says, hey, I want you to respond to my call, Jonathan, to go here to do this, that I will change. You understand? Uh, so um, my, my dear friend and brother, Carrie Edwards, a member of our, uh, our leadership team, along with his wife, Kathy, he sent me this because uh, he had kind of an aha moment at some point when we were doing our leadership team discussions. And he said, wait, 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 wait. Here's what I, I think what I'm hearing you saying is, this is not a strategic plan for the church. And I said, right, correct. It's not a strategic plan. And he said, and it's not a vote where uh, everybody's being polled to say, hey, what do you think we should do? Or expected that everybody has to sign on, otherwise they're not spiritual enough or godly enough. And I said, no, no, that's not what this is at all. And if you read through the book here, you will notice that in, at no point do I say, here is our plan. I say, this is a proposal, and it's full of priorities, not plans. 
priorities. What, and what I mean by that is, what matters most? Have you ever uh, seen that show? Uh, you kind of have to watch it with the sensor button in your hand. Um, Kitchen Nightmares. You've seen that Gordon Ramsay? Um, I kind of like the show. His, his mouth is a little coarse, but I like the show because he comes in and he says, okay, uh, you're going to need to clean some stuff out here. You're going to need to uh, uh, stop cooking food that people don't like very much, and you're going to need to use this and use this and use this. But what he does is he says, what are you really trying to accomplish? And they say, well, we want to serve great food, and we want people to love the food and come to the restaurant and buy our food. And he says, well, here's what you need to do. You need to set some priorities. And he doesn't give them every answer to every question. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to use fresh ingredients. And if they say, well, which fresh ingredients? He goes, well, that depends on your menu. And if he says, uh, I want you to uh, simplify your menu, offer fewer, because you're trying to cook too many things. Then they go, well, what should we cook? He goes, well, that's up to you. And if they say, uh, 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 well, what should we do to get customers in? you, you got to promote the restaurant, right? In other words, what he's doing is helping them to identify their priorities. And then the plans will follow from the priorities. This vision statement is not, um, it is not a call to an open-ended binding pledge to projects and programs. It is a unifying invitation to grow together in depth, maturity, and loving service. It is not an intent to take away things held dear. Uh, that's BFC Bible Fellowship classes or missions. It is, and these are Carrie's words, an encouragement to break out of, and I think he means personal, if, if I am, paralysis, and re-engage and revitalize in new and creative ways. Carrie says it is not about painting you into a corner in which you do not fit and do not want, but it is about engaging you in areas that excite you and deepen your giftings. And you can go on and read the rest. But at the bottom, his bottom line, and this is Kerry, my brother Kerry, I love my brother Kerry, he says, it is not a vote for a program to change identity, to divide hearts. It is an invitation to awaken, to plant, and to grow together. And I say yes and amen. Thank you, brother, for shedding light. And so that's what this vision proposal is. So here's the next question. And this one I had to apply a little sunblock for. <laughs> Why do you feel like six weeks worth of sermons and these surveys are going to cover up the lack of any substantial vision for the church? Whew. That was a little rough when I read that one. And so I think, though, what I want to say to this person is if after this message you do not grasp what I mean by substantial vision, then, then I'm not a good communicator. <laughs> this message today is my attempt to answer what substance looks like in this. This is not a strategic plan. This is not a battle plan. This is not a, a, a plan for the future. In fact, nowhere in Scripture. Does God give us a plan? In Scripture, God gives us priorities. He's the one with the plan. If you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. This is part two. There's some more questions, by the way, some more questions I'll show up, uh, that'll show up here a little later in the message. Um, some more about uh, specifics. 
The title of this message is, That Likewise Be Done. And if you're like, I have no idea what that means. Oh, trust me, you'll, you'll figure it out as we go here. Uh, that Likewise Be Done. Every one of these message titles, by the way, is a vision statement. We envision a future in which likewise is being done. What, like, like what, you say? Like this. Luke chapter 10, the second half of the verse, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Do what now? <laughs> do what now? Uh, we're going to look at this passage. Let's take a look at this passage. All right, so uh, you're wanting to know what are the specifics for how we fulfill this vision. What's the plan? And I want to say God will reveal it to us along the way. And you say, well, that's not enough. We want the specifics now. Well, I would understand that if we were voting, but this is really about affirming priorities and specifically affirming Scripture's priorities for us as believers and as a church. And sometimes, sometimes, as you will see in this text, sometimes our plans and our priorities collide. So, for example, um, I had a priority to build uh, one of those uh, little kid play centers uh, in the backyard. I had a priority. Hey, let's have a place where the kids can play in the backyard, and, and we got a little money here. Let's, let's spend a little money and make sure it's a decent one. And uh, so the priority is, let's have a place where the kids can play in the backyard, because right now all they got is a bunch of grass. All right, so they wanted something else, and we said, that's my priority. Let's build a place. And so we looked around, and we saw a, different, a lot of different, uh, you know, play centers. They're wood, and sometimes they go up two stories, three stories, swings and a slide, and all these other things. And I said, the priority is that the kids can play in the backyard. And so then we bought it, and they shipped it, and it was delivered in two ginormous boxes. And when I say ginormous, I mean they brought them off a semi-tractor trailer and laid these boxes. And I'm like, well, it doesn't look so bad. It's only two boxes, right? But then I opened it and I took out pieces and I took out more pieces and I took out more pieces. And I'm like, there's a lot of pieces here. I don't know how I'm going to put all these pieces together in the right order. And, and then Allison found the, the instruction manual, which was more of a tome, say, more of a tome, more, more of a giant encyclopedia. In other words, this was the plan to build the thing that we said we wanted to build, and I'm looking through it going, this is going to take me, and it did. It took me three days to build this thing. And at the end, I was like, can we change our priorities? You know? But the little kids, they came along, and they were little at the time. They're bigger now. They don't swing on swings. They're too mature for that. But uh, they were playing and enjoying themselves. But it was after we followed the plans. But you understand, we didn't start with the plans. We started with the priorities. And in this case, the plans made the priorities difficult. Here's another. This is the beginning of this passage. On one occasion, an expert in the law, this is verse 25, Luke 10, 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law, read Bible scholar. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? The Bible scholar answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. In other words, Jesus has given two priorities. 
two priorities. And now the, the teacher in the law, the Bible scholar, wants to know some details. It's natural, right? But he wanted to justify himself, so the Bible scholar, the expert in the law, says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, and you know how the story goes, right? Tells a made-up made up story, right? He tells a made-up story right there on the spot. Okay, here he goes. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which one of the three of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Ah! Go and do likewise. So every time I'm on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, if I come across a man who's been beaten and robbed and bloodied, I'm supposed to do the same thing. This is the plan. The plan is, when on your way, do likewise. Jesus says, you haven't understood the point of the story. No, no, I'm not telling you that you're going to go from Jerusalem to Jericho. This, this is not a plan. It's not specific details of what you're supposed to do. This is a principle, if you will, a priority, if you will, because here's the deal. There were four guys, four guys in this story, a guy that got beaten up and robbed. His plans, I assure you, were not to get beaten up and robbed. Somebody else had a plan, and their plan interfered with his plan, and now he's left bloody and broken. Nobody plans to need mercy. Nobody plans to be hurting and suffering and in need. Nobody plans to say, you know what, I think tomorrow I'm going to crash my car and uh, see if anybody shows up. That's not what happens. But then two guys show up on the same road and they also, we should presume, have plans. A priest walking down the same road. Where are you going? Jericho. Why are you going to Jericho? None of your business. Well, what happened on the road to Jericho? I came across a guy in need of mercy, but I had my plan. That was not in it. And so I crossed on the other side of the road. So to the Levite, walking up on the same road. Where are you going? I'm going to Jericho. What's your plan? <laughs> I don't have to explain my plans to you. Comes up and sees same picture, crosses the other side of the road. In other words, this did not fit his plan. The Scripture says many are the plans of a man's heart, 
When will the purpose of the Lord prevail? When somebody does likewise. When somebody who shows up says, hey, I have my plan. My plan is to go and to do this thing. This is not in my plan, but my priority will prevail. I'm going to change my plan. I mean, I got, I got business to do. And this, this Jewish person here that's been beaten and bloodied, and I'm a Samaritan, and, and we're really at odds with each other. We don't really get along very well. And probably, I mean, if, if, uh, you know, if we're to read the history books and understand them, uh, uh, the, Jews, the Jews at the time were very much um, very, uh, they had a lot of not-so-nice thoughts about Samaritans whom they uh, accused of being usurpers, accused of trying to change the Jewish religion. In many ways, they did. And so Samaritan Jews didn't get along very well. And so if you were going to change your plans for somebody, it would probably be a family member, a friend, or somebody that you got along with in your day-to-day life. And yet here he is walking down the road and seeing somebody who hates him and maybe he hates, and yet he's like, you know what? It doesn't matter. In Jesus' story, the point is he changes his plans according to a priority. And Jesus says, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. Go and do likewise. It's vital that you, expert in the law, you Bible scholar, you somebody who knows the Bible inside and out, that you are willing to set your plans aside to follow my priorities, Jesus says, my priorities. And here's my point. Christ calls us to a set of priorities, a set of them, more than one. And the Bible scholar already knew them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he knew the second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. But what he wanted was to be justified. Right? It says, in order to be justified in his own eyes, what are the particulars? And perhaps I can plan to show mercy according to the particulars. And Jesus says, nah, nah, nah. you're going to need to set a priority. You're going to need to be willing to be interrupted. You're going to need to be willing to put your plans aside. You're going to need to be willing to do life like me, Jesus says. a set of priorities. And Christ is the only one who perfectly knows the plan. And he reveals it to us in the opportunities he places before us. So what does that mean then for us as a church? It means for us that Christ has all the particulars. He will lead us if we're willing to do the kind of likewising that he tells us to do. He says in another passage, the person who heard my teaching and who did not build their life on my teaching. This is like a person who built their house on the sand and the wind came and the uh, rains fell and the house crashed. But the person who listens to my teaching and puts it into practice, this is the person who built their house on steady ground, solid ground. So when the winds come and the rains blow, that house stands. So he's saying to us, if you're going to do likewise, it's going to go well for you. Even though on the way to Jericho, 
oh, this isn't my plan. This isn't what I had in mind. This isn't the way I wanted to go. And you say, well, what is then the priority? And I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story. And I sh I, the only picture I could find with no lines and no cities and just earth was on Google Earth. And I added a dot for St. Louis. And you say, Pastor, why did you add a dot for St. Louis? Because that is the city from which an expedition set out in the first decade of the 1800s. It was called the Corps of Discovery. It was commissioned by Thomas Jefferson. And there were two very, well, they weren't well known then. It was um, Thomas Jefferson's personal secretary and one of his close friends uh, from his former days in the military. You know them as Lewis and Clark. And what was the goal? The goal was to get from there, St. Louis, to the blue stuff on the left side of the map. That was their goal. And you say, well, that doesn't sound too hard. I mean, just get a plane, hop on a train, get in your car. And drive. No, 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 you don't understand. In the early 1800s, there were no cars, there were no trains, there were no planes, there were no maps. <laughs> they had to get from St. Louis to the blue stuff, and the goal was to find a way. Find a way to get from where you are to where you're trying to go. Now, they couldn't go, uh, let's say, uh, uh, south because that was Spanish territory. They had to go up and over, but they couldn't go too far north because that was British territory up at what we now know as Canada, right? And so they had to go kind of, they had to kind of go up and over. And the plan was, they had a plan, they had a plan. And the plan was, we're going to get in boats, we're going to get in boats, and we're going to paddle up the Missouri River, which I, I don't have a line, but up the Missouri River from St. Louis all the way as far as we can go. And then at some point, we're hoping that we're going to find another body of water that will take us all the way to the Pacific Ocean. That was the plan. The plan was, we're canoeing to the blue. Canoe to the blue. That was the plan. But, see, they didn't have this picture and they didn't know about that uh, uh, kind of uh, lightly colored, tree colored kind of area about two thirds of the way. They didn't really know a whole lot about what we now know as the Continental Divide, otherwise known as big mountains in the way you're not going to get to the Pacific Ocean by boat. They didn't know this. A second goal was to see if they could engage with the native populations, the various native tribes along the way, to engage constructively. And in fact, they did. Uh, it didn't start off so well with the tribe that's now known as the Sioux Indians, and started out so well. But actually, there were several tribes that they had a very constructive relationship with. And you may know that at some point, they had a native woman who came along. She was married to a French-Canadian. Uh, her name, Sacagawea, right? And she ended up being a kind of a, not so much a guide, because she didn't know how to get there either. She ended up being a translator and basically a cultural attache. She helped the explorers to get along with the people they encountered. But as they're going upriver, they finally encountered a site that many have oohed and aahed at, and they kind of, it wasn't more of an ooh or an ah, it was more of an oh. Uh, okay, right? 
So, oh, well, that's all right, that's all right. Maybe we can go around. <laughs> I don't know if you know, but the Continental Divide extends all the way from the Arctic Ocean all the way down to the very tip of Chile in the Southern Hemisphere. It's called the Continental Divide for a reason. It does this all the way from top to bottom of the planet. There was no going around. There was only going over. And we got to find a place. And here's the thing about high places. Water doesn't tend to flow this way up the high places. It goes down this way. So the canoes had to be abandoned. I don't know, canoe? Nope. So what did they need? They needed horses and snowshoes. They needed some warm clothes. They needed a new plan. And why is that? Because they didn't know the future. But I'll tell you what. They started out in St. Louis. They made it over those mountains all the way to the mouth of the Columbia River which is a little south of Seattle. And they established a fort there called Fort Clatsop. Uh, I don't know where the name came from. I think they could have come up with a more glamorous name than Clatsop, but that's where they built a fort. And then they went back. And they found a different way to go back. But you understand that on this map, it just looks like, oh, that's pretty easy. You just kind of go up the Missouri River and you kind of go over and you get over there and you're good. But this was in the middle. What they didn't anticipate was in the middle. New plans for new circumstances. Sometimes our priorities require us to come up with new plans. This is not a plan. This is a set of priorities. Um, and incidentally, I don't, I really do not, uh, uh, respectfully to the person who asked the question, I do not expect six sermons and surveys or any amount of discussion forums uh, um, to accomplish anything. But I do invite you to pray. I do invite you to pray because I believe the Lord wants you to hear what He is saying to you. And so, as I said in here, um, it's a proposal for your review, a prompt for your prayers, and an invitation for your feedback. And the prayer that we as a leadership team uh, prayed together is, Lord, we surrender our hearts, this church, and our resources to you. Guide us to be and to become your chosen people. Help us to reach and retain new people by going and showing them who you are. And if we've got to abandon the boats and strap on snowshoes and climb a few mountains to get to them, well, that's our priority. So, here's our St. Louis. <laughs> Our St. Louis is right here, right now. Now understand, this is vision key number two. Vision key number one doesn't require you to leave the comfort of your home. Vision key number one is about you and your relationship with the Lord Jesus and you and your relationship with the people in your life and how God is going to use the people and use his word and use his spirit to grow you up. This is about now that we're a-growing, how are we a-going 
That's vision key number two. And so we start here. We come, as I said last week, we come and we go. We come and we go. And we've come here today in order to receive from the Lord so that when we're going, we're showing. And somebody asked last week, how do we help what is available? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. Very recently, we had a reach and go forum. And what we did there in that reach and go forums, we talked about, and we had 50 or 60 people that showed up for that reach and go forum. And we talked about the ways that we want to be reaching into our community. Sort of picture this reach as we go out and we embrace people and we welcome them into this family of faith. But then sometimes we're not going to be trying to reach people to bring them to Morningside. We're going to be going outside of the community. For instance, when we had our, our Truth Spring initiative and we went over to the Sixth uh, Avenue uh, True Spring Project and we assisted that church over there. Or I, uh, some friends of mine went down to North Florida when that uh, hurricane came through. They went down to help remove tree debris and other stuff. In other words, uh, there was a mess on the road and they interrupted their plans in order to go down to North Florida in order to show mercy. In other words, every now and again, we're going to give you an opportunity, but it doesn't have to come from your church. It can simply come from the Lord. How do we help? What is available? If you are available, God will show you how you can help. And then from here, the road that leads to Morningside also leads from Morningside. On the way from Jerusalem to Jericho, he saw a man beaten and bloodied and in need of mercy, and he stopped and he interrupted his priorities and he began to minister to someone in need of mercy. Jesus says, go and do likewise. You're going to leave from here today on your way to somewhere. And every week we come and we go. And every week we, we come and we go to work. And every week you come and you go on vacation. You come and you go here and you come and you go there. And on the way, God presents to us opportunities to show mercy. And for me, there have been times when I stopped when I shouldn't have. Like there was this, oh my, this time in Cincinnati. We were living in Cincinnati at the time, and I was in graduate school. Uh, this is going back to, I don't know, maybe 23 years when I was still kind of young and, and pretty like idealistic and, and sometimes foolish. I'm still foolish, but I was more foolish back then. And I remember walking from my class to my car, and a gentleman came up and said, hey, can you help me? I need some money. And I didn't have any money. And I said to him, I don't really have any, uh, have any money to give you. I'm so sorry. He goes, well, uh, do you have an ATM card? And like, I'm, I'm like, yeah. And he goes, well, uh, you, you could go to an ATM. I'm like, well, that's true. Um... Like right now? He goes, yeah, I'll ride in the car with you. And I'm like, <clears throat> and I'm hearing God tell me one thing and my soul is telling me another and I don't know who to listen to. And I said, okay, well, my car's right here. And so he got in the passenger seat and I got in the driver's seat and I go, I think there's an ATM for my bank on the other side of campus I'll just drive you there. And the whole way, I'm, I'm just going, Lord, protect me, Lord, protect me, Lord, protect me, Lord, protect me. And we get to the ATM, and I go, so I guess I'll go over to the ATM. Um, you'll wait here? He goes, yeah, I'll just wait here. I'm like, okay. And I went over to the ATM, and I punched in my code, and I got out 20 bucks. And I went back, and he was still sitting in my car, 
And I'm like, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. And I got in the car, and I said, here's 20 bucks. He goes, thanks, man. And he got up, and he went on his way. And I was like, <gasps> and I came home and tell Allison, and she goes, you did what? And I don't know. I don't know if that was like, you know, how the scripture says, you know, you've entertained angels. I don't know. Point is, I didn't die. <laughs> and I wasn't robbed at gunpoint or knife point or anything like that. And I thought, okay, any mercy mission you walk away from is a good mercy mission. But next time, I might choose differently. I don't know, okay? So the Spirit has got to be really strong in my head to get me to do that. And please, kids, listen to what your parents say, okay? Don't necessarily follow my example. Uh, listen to Jesus. Listen to your parents. All right. What are some of the specific details about the Adopt-A-Neighbor initiative? I'm so glad you asked. Because this is what it is, right? We're driving through our neighborhood here and there. And sometimes... Uh, the people in, the, in our neighborhood have needs. And this Adopt-A-Neighbor initiative, what it is about is saying, if you have a need, we want to know about it, not so that we can do good, not so that we can pat ourselves on the back about how holy and, and, and special and, and generous we are, but so that we can meet that traveler on the way to wherever they're going. And I use the phrase, meeting people at their point of greatest need. Meeting people at their point of greatest need. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but when life is grand, people don't need God. But when they're beaten and bloodied and lying on the side of the road and somebody walks up and says, can I help? I know Jesus. People tend to be a lot more open to Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed that. I have noticed that. And so the Adopt-A-Neighbor initiative uh, is uh, an initiative that we are partnering with Clement Care. Clement Care is a ministry here in town, and they have an app. And the app shows our Care Portal uh, uh, champion, our Care Portal coordinator, Kathy Belt, what are the needs in a two-mile, five-mile, ten-mile radius of Morningside? What are the needs? Maybe it's somebody needs a car seat. Maybe it's somebody needs a, a mattress. Maybe it's somebody needs a food or, or help or assistance. And this is all provided to us through this app. And it's, it's, uh, all the needs are populated by Clement Care, a ministry here in town. And they offer coaching and training to churches to, uh, to give us the opportunity to meet people at their point of greatest need. And so if you have questions about the Adopt-A-Neighbor initiative, that's Kathy Belt. She's sitting right there, and she said she'd be, she would love to talk to you. She said she's going to need a delivery team. And what's the idea? The idea is not that we just go and we drop the stuff off and go, hey, have a great day. The idea is that we go and we, can we sit with you? Can we get to know you? Can we talk with you about Jesus? That's the idea. And to adopt them then as our neighbors is to go and do likewise. Another person asked me, what are the specific details about the after-school programs? In fact, this person listed basically all the questions we would need to answer to have a business plan. And so I didn't list them all here, but there were a number of questions. And they were fantastic questions. Like, well, what are you going to do if there's a medical issue? Or what are you going to do if, uh, let's say, somebody comes and they're not the right person to pick up the kids after school? Or what are you going to do if this? And, what are you and how are we training? And uh, they were all great questions. Questions we have been answering. And questions you can direct to Christina Baptiste who is running our after-school program. She's also our weekday preschool director. So everything that she's already been doing with our weekday preschool, which is 
it, we, we are certified by the state to run our weekday preschool. You don't have to be certified for an after-school program, but we're using all the same best practices from the weekday preschool for our after-school program. And somebody said, hey, are you going to invite the neighbors? You know, because right now it's a partnership with, um, uh, with uh, Blanchard, right? Like that, Blanchard Elementary. But Gentian is the school that we're zoned for. And so our plan is to make sure we've got it working well, got it going well, and then invite students from Blanchard to come, and then invite kids from the neighborhood to come, and then to begin to grow it. But we got to make sure we grow it, you know, in a steady, maintainable, manageable way. And so this is going forward. And if you've got questions, talk to Christina Baptiste, because she would love, 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 love to answer those for you. Are there any plans to grow the tutoring? Oh, this was the question I just answered. Beyond the second grade. Yes, wouldn't that be great? We had last week, we had a family come to worship. David and Stacy, I met them last week. And they said, we're coming to church for the very first time because our two second grade girls are in the tutoring program. And so we wanted to come and visit the church. They were here last week. When we showed the video from the tutoring program, they saw their daughters up there on the screen, and they were excited, and we were excited. And the whole point of this is we want to tutor, yes, but we want to show mercy, and we want to invite people. This is all about reaching our neighbors. Somebody asked, why can't we have a senior center here at Morningside? No reason. No reason why we couldn't. The opportunities will come to us. The opportunities will arrive gift-wrapped by Jesus. When we had, our, when we had our, our very first quarterly outreach event into the neighborhood, we gave them a survey, everybody that showed up, and they said, we need tutoring help with our kids. We did have elder care and senior care on that list, I believe. Or if we didn't, we will. But the number one need, the number one opportunity, the number one way that we could begin to minister to our neighborhood, to show them mercy, to, to love them in Jesus' name, and to meet them at their point of greatest need, because you better believe a parent of a second grader who's struggling reading, that is their point of greatest need. And so as we meet them, we love them, and guess what? People start coming to church, and then we have an opportunity to love them, to bring them to Christ, and to help them to see, hey, here's where vision one, vision key number one, God's plan for your life, for your heart, for your walk with Christ, for your connection with this community of faith. And then, as we're going through our neighborhood, God might just say, hey, I want you to go beyond your neighborhood. To go not just near, but over there. And somebody asked the question, how is Morningside moving forward to go over there, specifically overseas? Which is a great question. Pre-COVID, we had a plan to go over there. We were going to go to Belize. And then COVID hit, and it all went away. And since then, we have been working with our missions team to build up uh, the, the, um, the opportunities to go out. And this past... Um, this past fall, I invited the missions committee to consider a uh, traveling outside the region. So not just in, in the state of Georgia, but travel outside, try a domestic trip. And they said, the missions committee said to me, we, the missions committee, are not ready to do that. We want to focus here on our neighborhood. And I said, okay. But I want you to understand, 
that if God is going to give us opportunities, it may come from me, it may come from you. And I will tell you this, at our Reach and Go Forum, uh, uh, Rick Stallings was talking about a ministry he's leading with Charles Ellis where they're going to be planning trips to Peru. And so if you want to go overseas to do missions work, you can talk to Rick Stallings or Charles Ellis because they are making plans. But if you're saying to yourself, I don't know, whether I'm ready to affirm vision key number two or not. Here's the invitation. To be open to showing mercy to others as Christ places opportunities before you. That's vision key number two. And if you say, well, yeah, but what's the plan? Oh, he's got the plan. (laughs) He's got the plan for you. He's got the plan for us. And it may call us off the map. He may call us to set aside our plans. He may call you to set aside your plans. He may call us uh, uh, from here to there, from here to there, from here to there. And the point is, if we are open individually and corporately, we will hear him, we will recognize the opportunity, and we will live as Christ told the Bible scholar. Do this. Set your priorities to be merciful Every time the opportunity is given to you by God, then you will live. So there it is. John puts a point on it. 1 John 2, 4, 2, 6. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And so we come to the greatest expression of mercy. We come to this table. We come to, as we sang, the marvelous, wonderful love that God has shown to us. The mercy he's extended to us. He didn't interrupt his plans because it was planned from before time immemorial. But I assure you, when Jesus landed in the manger. That that infant child did not have a strategic plan in his back pocket. Nothing wrong with plans. But he did have a priority. And the priority that Christ stepped into the world with was the priority to show mercy to you and to me. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, as we come to this table now, we come to the greatest expression of mercy. And we come to an invitation for those of us perhaps who have never accepted this mercy, this forgiveness from you, Jesus. We come to a meal served to us by a man who laid down his life, who surrendered all, mercy and in his love for his father he willingly you willingly Lord Jesus loved me to death loved us to death and for any here who are willing to accept this mercy and forgiveness there is grace there is pardon there is forgiveness for sin 
and there is welcome and healing and help. There is faithfulness, provision, strength, comfort, and in the end, eternal joy. And we didn't have to do a thing except to receive it. Bless the elements that go between us today. And bless those who take the bread, who take the cup, with the awareness that the mercy they hold in their hands grew out of the priority of your great love for sinners. And let them receive it with joy. And let them hear from you your words. Go and do likewise. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.